Oh, coming at you after another Brooklyn Nets win. What are we talking about, buddy? Two games in a row, just pummeling the full strength, 100% ready and active to go <laughs> Miami Heat going back to Saturday. <laughs> got you. I got you good. Uh, yeah, listen, it is another win. It's another learning experience. We kind of get to cover the gamut again in terms of both ends of the court, which star is ready to rise up, who's willing, who's capable of taking over. So plenty to break down from this game, but ultimately it's a win. And I think right now that's that's all that I'm chalking up is W's and a team that looks like they're continuing to figure it out. All right, we compare the game from Monday to the game on Saturday, two diametrically opposed games. We talk about James Harden and him kind of flowing through the offense and sometimes flowing out of the offense and what's it mean, but then also how he can just dagger you late game. We're going to get into it all, but first, the theme music. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast and the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Doug Norrie, owner-operator, DFSR. Got you covered for all your betting, NBA, and DFS needs. And that's Adam Armbrecht, the silky smooth voice of the Nets over on Sportscaster where he's calling the games and just doing general NBA insight analysis as well, buddy. How we doing? Feeling good on a Monday evening, man. This is just what you call for to start off the week. A W for Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. So we are coming at you, obviously, Monday night following the win over the Heat. It marks marks back-to-back wins here against Miami. So we didn't actually, we never recapped the Saturday game, but it's funny because these two games against Miami in the, you know, they're back-to-backs now. They used to call them home-and-homes, but that had to do a little bit more with travel. Now they're just keeping teams in the same cities because trying to reduce the travel that, you know, during the season, which I think generally makes sense, but it ends up you get a lot of these games where it looks like you're just sort of seeing double again because, a lot of the same stuff and sometimes the analysis can get a little weird about it what's funny about these two games was man could they not have been more opposite right like the game on saturday the final score in the game on saturday is 128 124 this game all the same players same court (laughs) same ball presumably same baskets everything basically the same it goes 98 85 essentially you know 40 points no excuse me um 30 points fewer uh, on each on each side and so it's about 60 total points less happening here on Monday night (laughs) Adam you explain it to me you're smarter than me um how does how does how do two games like this how do two games like this against the same teams with all the same variables end up just becoming I mean just light years opposite from each other yeah, I think, well, this is, you know, you wish that they were wearing their throwback uniforms for tonight's game. Because then you'd say, oh, they're just doing, they're doing 90 style NBA. That's all this is, 98-85, just like you drew it up. I, I think from the Nets side, if it really, actually, you can apply it to both sides. On the Nets side of it, they're obviously still working through things, still figuring out rotation, still figuring out assignments. So the game to games are going to look up and down. And they really approach this game stylistically and just from an execution standpoint differently. And then for Miami... It's almost impressive that they were able to do what they did on Saturday night, putting up 124 points, I think it was, because they're without so many of their key starting players. It's really just Bam Adebayo and 
you know, listen, the Kelly Olynyk of the world. What I, I, I don't know what that does for you, but it's impressive that they were even, even to put up and keep pace with the Nets like they did over the weekend. And this felt like a game where the Nets just doubled down on that effort on both ends of the floor, really. Well, what wasn't different was that Bam killed them both games, basically. Because <laughs> he went, yeah, put him down, went, put him down for went, a payday. He went forty-one nine and five, nine assists, five rebounds uh, in thirty-eight minutes on Saturday, and then he went for twenty-six, ten and five, ten rebounds and five assists on uh, on Monday night. Also, randomly just hit three buzzer beater um, at the end of quarters or halves. <laughs> yep. I think I think all three were bank shots too. All three from three. All three were bank shots. Uh, so that was I thought was a pretty impressive feat from a guy who. You know, we'll shoot the occasional three-pointer, but not really. Actually, let me look real quick. Yeah, so, oh, sorry, two of them were three-pointers and one was a two-pointer. But they were he took he took two total three-pointers, and they were both at the end of quarters, and they both went in uh, over the course of two games. So what didn't really change was that Bam kind of had his way. Uh, and, you know, it was definitely more in the first game than the second game. But, uh, yeah, you're right. This is not a quick reminder to Nets fans out there that while these are two nice wins in the NBA these days is just a little bit different in terms of, different personnel that teams are going to run out there on a game-to-game basis because we're dealing with COVID and postponements and guys can't play. And it's just, that's just the sort of the new world order for how the NBA operates. These are nice wins, but yeah, you're right. The no Jimmy Butler, no Tyler hero. That's two of the three probably best players they have on the team. You know, Bam's probably, and Bam just might be their best player, but um, in general, you, you like to get the W's. It's a nice reminder or not, that these are not that this was not Miami's full strength team, but I just thought it was funny because if you look back to this Miami, you look back to the game on uh, on Saturday, it was a situation where the Nets just simply couldn't get a single stop, and it's just it was just the theme. It's been the theme over and over again. You cannot get a stop on defense. Cannot get a stop on defense, and I don't know if they were getting more stops on Tuesday. We're going to talk about the game here in a little bit. Go through uh, the ninety eight eighty five win. But I don't know. Did you get a sense that it was a they were getting more stops? Do you get the sense that it was maybe just a little maybe fatigue and there was just kind of just general lackadaisical approach to offense, or maybe just sometimes it's the way the ball bounces because the universe is weird? Like you know, do you think there was sort of fundamental <laughs> yeah. fundamental changes, or they were just kind of both teams were playing to each other's what each other was doing, and that's why these games ended up staying close? Like what is it? What I, I'm, I guess I'm searching for a philosophical answer, maybe that doesn't exist. I think well, <laughs> yeah, right. That's a little more extemporaneous than I thought we were going to get. But but I right. think for me, it's it's the idea that because there's a couple of things that I really took away in totality. And on Saturday, you saw some great sequences from Brooklyn on the offensive end specifically. And I just I remember wanting to take it down. Of it's a bounce pass out to the to the wing for Harris on the right side. He comes through, roams through the lane, kicks it out to KD. KD sits beyond the arc. Harris pulls his man down into the corner, and then Irving, who started with the bounce pass to Harris, ends up funneling through and filling the space that he vacates in the lane. Little little dish there from KD, turnaround jumper. Like the movement and execution offensively on Saturday night was fantastic. And I I do wonder if this is a team that when things are clicking early, which they weren't in, in Monday night's game, that it's easy to just kind of lean into that and be excited about finding rhythm shooters about having great ball movement and then it makes the the defensive end of it a little bit breezier a little bit lighter a little bit fly, you know fly by night whereas this game Monday night they start out cold from the floor I mean cold is being generous probably and at a certain point it becomes almost imperative that you do dig in and give the maximum effort on defense after bam everybody else and mitigating what the rest of this Miami team is going to do against you. And then that's what affords you to score under hundred points and still dominate a game by the fourth quarter. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that there probably is something to be said for when it's not clicking offensively. You know, you need to just, yeah, like you said, double down or dig your heels in or whatever the you know the saying is going to end up being. I think that I think there's something to that. It did the pace of the game on Saturday was much faster. This was much slower and more bogged down. I kind of want to talk. We're going to talk about this uh, in the next two kind of segments here when we talk about the game. Uh, ball movement was definitely sort of a problem. I think Miami did throw defensive, different defensive looks at them this game that caused mm-hmm. them sort of issues around ball movement that it made them stagnate a little bit on offense. And I definitely have to talk about James Harden because uh, it's not a concern of mine, but it was this this game sort of boiled down into James Harden early and then James Harden late and just the total story of two two different stories of two different games from this guy and some maybe like possible concerns I have that need to get worked out for him on the offensive end. So we're going to get into that. And then obviously the end of the game as well. First, got to talk to you about our friends over at betonline.ag. That's went into this game, uh, minus seven and a half, I believe going into the game against Miami. So you have to like that covering it on the back end with, when it gets late, betonline.ag has all of this stuff for you. The only ones that we trust to get our bets in. And we know you will too. Look, we got the Super Bowl coming up two weeks away. All the prop bets you're ever going to want over there. Uh, we got NBA action every single night, college basketball as well. It's all available for you on betonline.ag. Right now, you can sign up for a free account and use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, before we dive in on, on some hardened conversation here, got to remind everybody that you can get more of the sports news that you need in less time with the all new Locked On Today podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Peter Bukowski is hosting Locked On Today, a daily podcast that will be breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from all the local experts like yours truly. Maybe Doug's going to pop on there and have a little commentary about what's going on with Brooklyn and then all the teams from around the league. So it all comes to you in under 20 minutes as well. Quick hits, get a get a kind of lay of the land around the NBA landscape and get out the door. Check out Peter Bukowski and the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcast needs fulfilled. Now... You mentioned it before we closed out there, you know, in the first segment, the piece around James Harden. And I do just want to kind of assert my my takeaway was that I don't want to use like a, some type of cliche phrasing, but Harden has to officially unpack his bags in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And, and he just needs to assert himself as being the clear cut number two. Everything does need to flow through him. And also, you know, it sets up, it's obviously sets up KD, it sets up Irving. But I just think that he needs to be the on ball point guard and also needs to be putting himself in a position to get more looks and get them more earlier in games. Because yeah. clearly by the end of this one, we realize what needed to happen a quarter and a half sooner, right? Well, for sure. So at halftime, Harden has two shots. <laughs> so he had two shots and he had two trips to the one trip to the foul line for two free throws. That right. was the entirety of his offensive usage in the first half. And I mean, I'm not counting turn usage counts turnovers as well. So I'm just, I, I, I get that part of it, but I'm so his, you know, the shot usage was two shots and two and a trip to the free throw line. So whatever that usage ends up being, it's going to be in the single digits. It's absolutely terrible for a guy that is among the very best offensive players in all basketball. Now I get that you have, um, you know, KD and, and Kyrie there too. So it's not like he's deferring to sometimes worse players, but it is absolutely unacceptable for James Harden to have two shots at halftime for any team, no matter who the rest of the personnel is. It's it's totally insane. 
So I think I agree with you. I like that analogy that you use about unpacking his bags because I think that's apt. I also think that there is a problem a little bit with Harden here. So we saw early in his first game with KD where everything was clicking. And it just looked like the Nets was going to score 130 points every single night with these guys because the way it looked all all too easy. And a lot of that is transition, and a lot of that was getting out in, in running and him being able to find sort of cutters or just get to the basket. But the problem is I've noticed, and I don't know if you noticed this too, is that it, I'm a little worried that Harden has spent so many years being so on ball in his time in Houston, by necessity, that's how they wanted to run things, that when it comes to off-ball stuff, uh, nothing happens. He does not do anything mm. off-ball. <laughs> like, there is no movement almost ever. There's the occasional screen handoff stuff that he runs. It's all above. It's basically all above uh, or outside the arc. There's no, there's just no movement at all. And so while I believe that he needs to assert himself, and I agree with you that the offense needs to run through him, there has to be an understanding as well that when the offense is not running through him, other things can also ha- things can happen on a basketball court when you are not holding the ball <laughs> no, or you're not it. dribbling the ball. Knock it off! You, you're being ridiculous. <laughs> this is I hate to I hate to be the bearer of bad you know running news here, but the this is it, it, just just watch. It's not every time, but it's pretty evident that when he does not have the ball, it's I don't think it's disinterest. I just actually wonder if he spent so long not doing anything in half court sets where he didn't have it that he has maybe lost any idea of what those things that are supposed to happen are like, again, running off screens, cutting. When was the last time you saw him cut to the basket <laughs> and get, and, 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 and get, have you said, have we cutting? <laughs> oh, such oh, good, sorry. Such a good break. Yeah, I I know. It was such a good, like the fundamental things that basketball players should be doing. Cutting, right. diving at the basket, <laughs> running off screens. This <laughs> is too good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I hate to like, take a super didactic tone here, but because, you know, James Harden could beat me one-on-one clearly, but the it's 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 increasingly evident that when he doesn't have the ball, like he didn't oftentimes in the first half, you know, with, when especially when he's sharing the court with these guys, that kind of nothing happens, and that is going to probably end up leading to a lot of these long stretches of not shooting because unfortunately in the NBA, if you don't do those things all the time and you share the court with two high usage guys, you may go long stretches without ever really getting a shot. And that's, that is kind of what I took away of what was happening for all of the first half. And frankly, most of the third quarter as well. It's just, it really wasn't until he kind of did a, they they did that, the unit where he kind of ran the unit again. And it was just like the surrounded by shoot. Do you understand what I mean though? Like, Oh yeah. Well, because there's there's just simply nothing happens for the guy, but he doesn't have the ball. Well, and it's funny because I, I didn't, I wasn't focusing on that while still noticing. And really, I'll say the contrast that I was picking up on is something everyone's familiar with, but I was really watching Joe Harris even more intently tonight on both ends of the floor. Because again, this is a guy that offensively leave that on the side because he actually started off a little bit rough and, and then rounded himself into form as the game moved along. But this is a guy who on the defensive end, I mean, maybe to your point about Harden, I know you're speaking on the other end of the court. But he understands what it is to fight over top of those screens and to still dive down into the lane and try to contest. I mean, there was a point where he was caught on a switch against Bam Adebayo and the dude, you know, he was there, though. He was in the right position to at least try to make it difficult. Likewise, on the offensive end, the reason why and this feeds into your point, 
Harden may not end up drifting. He ends up drifting out of the offense a little bit because not only is he not doing that much when you're on the floor with the starting unit, Joe Harris is running amok, trying to find himself an open spot, trying to get himself freed up for a potential spot up three off a kick from Katie or Kyrie. So I, I, I wonder if, is it something that he, that he has had ingrained in him, like you said, from his time in Houston, or is it now with these players around him, he also looks at it and says, Oh, I don't need, what do I need to help KD for? Like he'll figure this out. I'm not saying that's the right approach, but maybe a little bit of that comes into play too, where he's like, yeah, these guys will figure it out. I can, I can take a player two off here, which is, as you say, not what you want. It could be that. I, I'm not even sure it's taking off. I just don't know if he knows really how to flow through an offense like that. I think it's been so long since he's done it because he hasn't been asked to. He's frankly asked to do the exact opposite yeah. in Houston, which was, you know, take the ball outside, outside, you know, above the break somewhere and, clear out or have someone come and set a high screen for him and then do what he's going to do and dribble between his legs 50 times and, you know, either put up a three or get fouled putting up a three or dive to the basket. <laughs> and that was really it. There was, I, I mean, there, there was insane stats where from, I don't know if it was from last year, it was, it was from two years ago where the amount of unassisted points that Harden had, meaning points that came to him that were unassisted, right? Yeah. Was just an insane number. It was so high. I mean, way higher than anybody else like ever. And, it was really that you know if just if you don't understand what I mean by that, it just meant that no one was ever passing him in the ball to have him do something. It was him creating every piece of the shot and every piece of the offense, and that was kind of the whole thing. So when you have when you score an insane, I, and I I should get this number. I'll get this number for the next podcast because it's it's uh, it's interesting to think about. Is that when he's just spent years and years not getting passes from anybody to score really? Yeah, he had Chris Paul there for a little while or for a season or two. And, you know, and I, it, those, I think the numbers ticked up a little, but I don't think even, even really. And so, cause he was still was the, he was the on ball guy. Chris Paul was essentially the, the, the off guard in that, in that scenario. So I do get a little worried that we have years and years of training <laughs> and trainings and quotes here of a guy who is just when, yeah, like, and if you want to put it like he's deferring. Sure. Maybe he's deferring. I think maybe that's part of it as well. But I just also think that, that when he doesn't have the ball, I just, I'm not sure there's a clear understanding of what all the work that needs to be done. I, I will say one thing about him That's too: I, having James Harden stand, you know, just even off ball is still good for your offense because defenders cannot even cheat at all off of him. So right. you are going to still maintain an advantage even if he's not completely active in the play because they just can't. It's not like you're leaving, you know. Oh, what's, uh, thinking of, almost anybody that's not good at offense that's just standing outside. Like, like not leaving like cheating off of Ben Simmons when he's outside the three point arc because you can right. know he's never going to take it. So you can't. That's not. A, that's not the situation I'm talking about. It's more. It's still an advantage for your team. But it is. Uh, just watch this next game. Watch what he does when the, when he doesn't have the ball, and you're going to be like, huh? <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> well, you know, I, I will say and the funny thing is too because Matt Brooks and I have talked about this around young players like a Donovan Mitchell that was supposed to be a guy that would do it for you on both ends of the floor. Then he comes into the league, he has a Rudy Gobert, and he can kind of turn his mind off defensively. Not not practically, but theoretically you can. And now he's drifted away from from that attitude and from that focus on that end of the floor. So I mean, likewise, and we're, we we were you know we spoke really about young players and how they get formed very early in their career. Trey Young and what his mentality looks like uh, on the offensive end of the floor. The interesting thing for me is that it could apply to a guy like Harden just over over time. It's like a the, the, the long term effect of being in Houston and having that style around him. 
And I guess maybe something to watch for, right? Over the next 10 to 15 games, as these guys gel more, that probably is worth focusing on and seeing if you see a shift in him and re-engaging in that type of play on that uh, on that end of the court. Well, I'll guarantee the more he moves, the more de- the more everyone moves in this offense, the more deadly the offense is going to be. No way around yeah. it. They're just too, they're just too good an offense. If you continue, and I, I you know I can't remember who was calling for NBA TV. Maybe it was Stephen. Steve Smith, maybe tonight. I don't. They brought someone in. I, I was. I, I feel bad because I didn't hear who they brought in. But he was not the color guy. But they were kind of deferring to him for a little while. But he mentioned something about the team about getting out into transition and why it was so problematic for other teams. Like if you could push the pace even more, it's because when you have these singular offensive talents in your team, you the t- defense has to really, really be worried about what's happening. So he was talking that specifically about transition. But it applies to movement around the ball on offense as well, because the more you move and worry about where this guy goes, you really have to be absolutely quaking in your boots if you just lose track of him even for a moment, any of these guys, because they'll kill you. If these guys get even yep. a millimeter, you're dead. So the more movement, and that's why KD, and KD and Kyrie move a lot off the ball. Kyrie, to his credit, does. He spent years with LeBron. I think he understands how it is that you need to get, you know, if at minimum, get yourself to get the ball easier into a better situation, right? I think they understand this piece of it. I'm just a little concerned that Harden does. We'll get. A, I will say that for all that, Harden did uh, was the key to this game down the stretch, and this is why it's great to have him on the team. We're going to get to that in one second. Uh, first, got to talk to about our friends over at Rock Auto. Look, I got a Rock Auto issue right now. My truck, the cover on the truck, the Tuno, I think it's probably pronounced Tuno, cover on my Tundra has come off. I want to say, I'd love to say no fault of my own, but it was definitely a little something that I did at the fault of my own, but it needs to be replaced. And I know I am not messing around with anybody except for Rock Auto. I don't want to go to the local place because I feel like I'm going to get raked over the coals. Definitely not going to go to a mechanic because who knows what's going to happen there. Rock Auto made it super easy. All I did was go over to rockauto.com, just typed in Tundra, typed in the year, Typed in the, this easily searchable database. In two seconds, I found the part I needed. Knew that the price was going to be better than any other competitor. Added to the cart, and away you go. Rock Auto makes it super easy to find the parts you need. Really, any make, any model. It's a family-owned business. It's a f- business you can trust. Like I said, I went over there, bought the part I needed today. I can't really give a better endorsement than that. Right now, you go to rockauto.com, and all you have to do is write in Locked On, and how did you hear about us? You know I did that today as well. Write in Locked On, and how did you hear about us? So they know we sent you. Go to rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And when I was done with my rockauto.com order, I was a little hungry. And you know I had to reach over for a built Bar. Look, they sent us the built Bar uh, re-up recently, and this stuff is the absolute best. Everyone in the family loves it. Protein bars, but they do not taste like your typical protein bar that you would get over the counter. Uh, and you're getting a little, you know, that's when you would get a little styrofoam, a little cardboard, maybe a little chew, but nothing more than that. Now, built Bar has reinvented the protein bar, and once you go there, you're never going to go back. All the great flavors coconut almond, raspberry, toffee almond, uh, orange, double chocolate, salted caramel, even new ones like cookies and cream, cherry barcia for all you Grateful Dead fans out there, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. These things are awesome. 180 calories, just five grams of sugar, five grams of net carbs, everything you need in a protein bar for the energy, quick boost, snack along the way. It's perfect. Right now, you go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you're going to get 20% off your next order. Go to uh, builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. 
Now, unfortunately, it is uh, hard to believe that it has been a year since we tragically lost Kobe Bryant. But right here on the Locked On Podcast Network on Rejecting the Screen, host Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov are honoring Kobe's life and career with a two-part special this whole week here. So you're going to hear stories that you haven't heard anywhere else about Kobe Bryant from teammates, opponents, coaches, journalists. You can subscribe to Rejecting the Screen and listen to the two-week Two episode, excuse me, week that celebrates the life of one of the NBA's all time stars. Uh, now, as we come before we get into the fourth quarter, and like you said, and Harden really turns it on there for the Nets at the end of the third, and not really at the end of the third, seven thirty two mark in the third quarter. Harden finally drives, gets at the basket, gets fouled, and at that point, the Brooklyn Nets are in the bonus at a point when this game is still back and forth within a few points either side of it. He goes to the line at 7.32. He goes again at the seven-minute mark. KD gets there at the six-minute mark. The Nets don't go back again to the line until 56 seconds left in the third quarter, and that's when Jeff Green gets fouled in, in, in at the basket. One of the things that I will say in terms of asserting, it's not just James Harden. It's also this, this entire team collectively, especially against this Miami team. We mentioned the players they didn't have on the court for them. But once you get them into foul trouble, that's an opportunity in basically midway through the third to start to pull away in this thing and give yourself some distance, get some guys like Bam Adebayo potentially into foul trouble and just take that piece off the board for Miami. And it just felt like the Nets were unwilling to or disinterested in taking advantage of that and just getting inside the lane. I know what they are from the perimeter, but does that bother you at all? I mean, does that stand out to you at all? Because I just, I circled that number and then tracked it and said, boy, only getting there three more times after getting into the bonus just feels like a, a waste of an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I think there was uh, a little hesitancy there. They really weren't trying to get to the back. So they, I don't want to say they settled for a lot of threes, but they just, again, are going to always take a lot of threes and always going to defer to the three. They, you know, they, they're a team that loves, they likes to draw contact. All, at least all three of the scorers really do. So maybe it's probably something of an outlier just on how much these guys will try to assert their, themselves. Because I know for KD and Kyrie, it really is lane first, three second a lot. I think they want to get mm-hmm. downhill, and they you know because the KD knows. I really both of them know that if they get you on your heels a little bit, their their pull up game is just awesome, right? These two, these yeah. are two of the best kind of stop stop and uh, stop and fire guys maybe in the whole NBA, which is funny because they're just two, two totally different sizes and they do it differently. But really, when it comes to just stopping and popping. It just inside the arc. I, I really I'm, look. I hate the long two, and I kind of just live with it from these two guys because they're just so good with it that, that you really, it's hard to get mad at. So why do it, I, I why do I love pro- that when they shoot those? What's that? Why don't you? Why do you? No, yeah. Why do I? Like, because I like when when I see when I see them get into the lane or just off the elbow. I'm like, man, that's beautiful. Like, I, I don't. No, no. I, I'm I, saying I'm saying they're the only two guys in the NBA that I like watching it from. I think everyone else. Is a oh, okay, shot. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Sorry. Maybe I was I was, I was saying that they're, I'll forgive them. The, these two, I'll forgive these two guys. Really, no one else should do. It. Maybe Demar Derozan. I, I there's like nobody else <laughs> that should that should be stopping at this point and taking a long two. Except for these guys. No, sorry, maybe I didn't phrase that correctly. I'm saying I do. I say, I'm saying I do like when they do it, and I don't. And I don't yes. like with anybody okay. else. I don't like when anyone else from the NBA does it. So I think maybe it's a little bit of an outlier piece, and it's probably a thing where when you have that when you have that kind of advantage getting to the most, especially with how good of these three, all three of these guys are at shooting free throws, that you really need to you need to step on the neck when it comes to that stuff because one, you want to get everyone in foul trouble, but two, those are just those. Are just, more than most other shooters, these are just absolutely free buckets for all three of the guys. They're just all three of the best three uh, free throw shooters in all of basketball. So 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. Missed opportunity. Definitely missed opportunity when it comes to this is why you have single offensive talents is to is to get other guys, other teams in compromised situations, especially with the fouls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I even think about it when I, I know they have off tomorrow and they'll play again on Wednesday against the Hawks. But I even look at it and think these are also opportunities to get through a game quicker so you guys can get off the court quicker. You know, let's let's go ahead right. and mitigate some of those minutes that we're maybe looking at. Um when the fourth quarter kicked off, there was a couple other things from this. Specifically, there's a defensive piece that I think is worth touching on. But they also started off the fourth quarter with a lineup that consisted of uh, Irving and Harris in the backcourt and then Green TLC and Reggie Perry in the front court. Did that? What did that look like to you? Did you like it? Did it make sense to you? Because, again, we know that they're going to continue to rotate some of these looks to continue to find the right combinations. And this is just the first time that we've seen this on the floor together. Yeah, this is the one we talked about uh, either last podcast or the podcast before, that this is what we thought the rotation should be. It should be Kyrie surrounded by these guys and maybe not Harden. And look, mm-hmm. it's still good still good both ways, but you saw what you can get when, when Kyrie is surrounded by these guys because you know Harris is going to be – Harris is ready to fire whenever, even though he was kind of off tonight. But you know we saw one, one game ago where he I – think, I think he set his record for most three-pointers in, in the game last year. Yeah, I think he almost had it at halftime. I think his record was seven and he had six at halftime. Anyway, the um no, but this these Kyrie doesn't need a lot of help on offense. This is a line this is the rotation I kind of yeah, I know I instantly noticed the same thing. I was like, Oh right, this is what we talked about. This is what we wanted, right? This is the, this is what this is what we wanted yeah, to be surrounded lead, by. Though. We were calling for this. We told Steve. Yeah. I, I I screamed it into the I screamed it into the television. So no, no, this is I I'm a fan of this. I think it was pretty much a plus lineup while they were out there. And I think going forward, that that's the kind of lineup we've been calling for it. So I don't think it needs to be defended all that much. But the the fact that he is just a I think a better fit, the fewer shooters you get, right? Like Harden's great when the more shooters you get. He's great no matter what, but he's better. He's going to be so deadly when he has more shooters because he's going to pass out of the lane so many more times than Kyrie's ever going to think about. But if you're going to only really have one other shooter, and I get that Jeff Green's been a second coming of Larry Bird this season when it comes to three-point <laughs> shooting, but the um, in general, you know, he's probably not thought of as a dead-eye three-point shooter. I, I the, the fewer shooters you have in the court with you, Kyrie is going to be the answer there because he can create so much more on his own. Yeah, Uncle Jeff uh, came down to earth today with an 0 of 4 from beyond the arc performance. Just to and I, and I love him and I love what he's been doing. But yeah, I think you're right. And th- th- that's why we thought it made sense to go this route. And, and what's nice about it as well is a player like uh, Joe Harris, he can flex between the lineup with KD and Harden and then stay on the court with Kyrie Irving for a spell and start to stretch them out a little bit also. So you have some fluidity there. I do give a tip of the cap, by the way, to Reggie Perry, who I really thought, you know, I said this before we started, but it looks like he's learning. And I'm and in this game, I meant it in a complimentary way of he's learning from the game before and then applying it to the next game. And, and you know, so it does look like he is at least understanding some of the things that he needs to work on or play spots that he needs to be in. He took a dish from Harden and got a nice little at the rim dunk as well. So seeing these young guys come along, I don't know how crucial it's going to be for pairing the big picture once Claxton gets back. But collectively, um, the other note, he was good. He showed up there a little bit on defense for this team overall. Defense, just show me that you can do it. You don't have to do it every single game for the next 35 games. But I do need to see that this team, that these superstars can lock in on defense for big stretches of games. And I think they at least started to show that and the effort and energy and Kyrie flying around as well. I got, I got long-winded on it, but there was a lot to like on the defensive end of the floor in this game, even against a lot of backup guys. 
Yeah, there was definitely a lot fewer. There were fewer easy looks at the basket for sure. Hundred yeah. percent. No, no doubt about it. There's no way like they still had a few. Uh, the boxing out was much better. I thought uh, fewer second chance. There was that one. There was that wide open for Bam where he just threw it down on a three point attempt where it was like KD Kyrie was there at a third net and Bam just came flying yeah. through the lane. I was like, oh, you guys were doing so good. Yeah, the boxing out still is still a not a great. It's not great, but I thought in general there was there was a hundred percent less of a layup line tonight, which you like to see. So because it's been an absolute layup line for one of four straight games or something, something like that, yeah. where it just felt like they could never ever in a million years get a stop at the basket. That definitely did calm down last night uh, on on Monday night, and it also wasn't this kind of thing where oh it was still happening, but they were missing bunnies at the basket. That wasn't the case either. Those were, those looks really weren't there as much this game. So I think that was a that was a welcome sight. And then you get Harden, who for as much as he didn't shoot early in the game finishes the game off by taking three of the last making basically three of the last five shots scoring seven of their last nine points and you're reminded oh right this is also what can happen late game when you have these guys and and you know the defense uh the defensive assignments have sort of you know shifted around a little bit and you're still just picking out the weak links because that's what they did with Harden late game so Harden closes it out with uh like I said seven last nine points and I think he he had an assist there too so he basically accounted for basically everything they did over the last I think three and a half minutes when they essentially pulled out the game and it's just a nice reminder that oh right you also have this guy who's a parental MVP candidate yeah I get it that he only took two shots in the first half or whatever but when it comes to late game they have three ways to just absolutely kill you and you better be ready because it's unlikely that you're gonna be able to stop all three yeah, and that's the beauty of this team, right, is that any one of them can take over. KD had a quiet off game tonight and then turned it on for a little spurt there in the fourth to help get him over the hump and really stretch the lead. So that's the danger of this team. That's what's fun to watch on them, and that's why all this other stuff I can – I'm starting to set myself up for patience, let this thing develop and grow, and I'll worry about judging the totality of it, you know, in another 30 games. All right, we'll be back again on Wednesday talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Obviously, in the meantime, rating and reviewing the podcast is the number one thing you can do to help us. It's totally free. Just give it five stars. Maybe leave a nice note or two about the podcast. It really helps us climb ye old charts as the Brooklyn Nets get more and more popular in the public you know, podcasting sphere and just basketball sphere in general. It's great to be a part of the team right now and kind of just talking about this team every night. We want to keep doing it, and you can definitely help us by giving it five stars or bust wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, the Nets are on a two-game winning streak. Simply the best. Tina Turner. Oh, one of the all-time great American poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.